You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Podcast, and this is episode 31. On the last episode, we were talking about the wonderful Magnolia Electric Company by Songs Ohio. After some votes, the public have decided that this record does indeed make it into our discography, so thank you very much to everybody who listened and voted. On this episode, we're talking about Marnie Stern by Marnie Stern. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to the Unsung Podcast. I am your host, Mark Fraser, and I'm curious as to what these two men have been up to. Today, or in general? Generally. Uh, well, during this podcast, you might hear the sound of children playing outside, <laughs> and to my right is the father of all of those children, <laughs> Glasgow's most prodigious father, Chris Cusack. Get off of the road, kids! <laughs> his, his sperm cannot be stopped. <laughs> it's true. His sperm is unstoppable. I have to masturbate into vats of bleach <laughs> to prevent uh, people bathing in the Atlantic accidentally becoming pregnant. <laughs> and that includes men. Men, wow. Men. Men, man. Talking of men, Jordan Peterson's coming to town. Yes. That's a good sign. It's going to be great October sometime in October, I think. I know a few people that will probably be at that. I have to say, I spent a fair amount. Seriously? Spent a wee bit of time on Facebook today, and I think I came across them. Oh, like, are they your friends? You know them? Well, you know, they're my friends. Oh, I'm not saying I'm happy with them. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, you know, as Facebook works, they're on that list. But, yeah, extended conversations on Facebook. You know, you're pretty sure at the start, I'm like, I can I can definitely change this person's mind. <laughs> it's like four or five hours later, you're like, oh, yeah. So well, at least you don't have a bubble. I know. I'm just looking at the Facebook event, and I'm not friends with anybody going. Which is nice. I, yeah, I don't think my echo chamber is clear. I ah, see. I, I, that, yeah, I was going to say that's that is the bubble, right? That is the thing. Like, I don't, I don't have a problem. You could imagine a scenario where you go to hear it. It's not like everything the guy says is wrong. It's just that he's wrong on some key points, and he <laughs> says them a lot, and he seems to get rewarded disproportionately for the stuff that he's wrong on or more wrong on. What is he more, mostly wrong on then, Chris? As pertains to a music podcast, yes. not very much. <laughs> He's mostly wrong on his thoughts on religion, and it's mostly hilarious that he tries to pretend that he has insight into objective truths when he's religious. That's pretty absurd. And he's he's wrong on a fair number of points about contemporary feminism. 
he's probably wrong in all manner of other things. But he's, to be fair, he's also a very skilled psychologist. He's a kind of highly regarded writer when it comes to depression and anxiety and things. That's why it's like, guy's not an idiot. He's just somebody that's very got, been given a very big platform and has some key issues that I don't think add up. But unfortunately, he's also like fucking nectar to so many incels and misogynists and 4chan posters just crying out for uh, somebody that can actually hold his own in a debate and echoes in an otherwise seemingly reasonable voice some of their cretinous beliefs. Um, Yeah, he seems to be their academic legitimization. Yeah. Is that the word? (laughs) That's ironic. That's kind of where he's prospered. That's where a lot of these guys have prospered. The people with uh, outlandish beliefs have looked for some mainstream validation for their outlandish beliefs and they've found people who are taken seriously that have a bit of a Venn diagram overlap and that's how this guy's prospered. White privilege, of course, is a Marxist lie, he says. How, um, how detached from reality must you be? I mean, the idea that women were oppressed throughout history is an appalling theory. It is an appalling theory, isn't it? How dare you think that there's been any... Yeah. I mean, if one so the only thing is, I'm, I'm, I'm wary to comment on that because I don't know if that's him being strawmanned or not. Because mm. that, that, that sounds like the kind of thing where somebody that doesn't like what he says has sort of turned it into their own language and kind of strawmanned the guy a little bit. And I think with a guy like that, it's very important that you address him on his own words and don't just put words in his mouth because then it's easy for him to get out of it. And that's what he's done. And it's what he did in that Channel 4 interview where that uh, the host just fucking failed miserably because she just kept strawmanning him, which just made her look stupid. Whereas when you see him talking to someone like Sam Harris who actually engages him and his actual points it's it's much more formidable anyway tunes though yeah well, oh talking about women you, t- you still need to introduce weaver you've not done that part yet I, I, we were past that that's, that's, i mean to my left is david weaver excellent there we go hi <laughs> i'm glad we cleared that up so women then <laughs> i can name one <laughs> marnie stern marnie stern yes this is her third album it's called marnie stern it's named after her jesus isn't that just like women? Naming stuff so after selfish. themselves is just, yeah. It's all about, all about them. So this was your this album, This was my Mark, choice, and yeah. That, that means you're going to do the bulk of the I don't uh, think that's entirely me. true. See, I, I, I'm not particularly familiar with her as a person. I just... Well, really, I mean, we're not particularly familiar with Trent Reznor as a person either, but we still talked about his album. Yeah, I, but I do like her. I like, I like a lot of her music, shall we say. Let's start there. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> we're going deep early. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember when I first got into Marnie Stern. I think there was a stage where I was downloading records. Illegally. Uh, illegally. And I was downloading a lot of noise stuff, like Lightning Bolt and, and Albatross and stuff like that, and Hella. And then I think I went from Hella to Marnie Stern. Via Zach Hill, who drums uh, for Exactly. Both. And also produced for Death Grips, a band that you foisted upon me. Yes, and who we have talked about on a previous episode and was voted into the mm, discography. Yeah, I was, I was a fan. Well, certainly of the record that you mentioned. And they're also coming to Glasgow, and that should be a slightly less alt-right affair. It should be. Hopefully. Still another 4chan. Um, yeah, that's true. That's Reddit true. Thing. By the yeah. way, one of the, one of the key guys in the, the kind of blogosphere YouTube channel alt-right thing is from, uh, is it Livingston, I think? 
He's a massive, massive celebrity in the oh, States. Count Duckula or Count uh, Count Dankula or whatever his name is. <laughs> You're talking about that guy? Um, Count Fuckula. Basically, I don't know this. he blogged out of his mum's house in, in, I think it's Livingston. Um, he's also the guy who had just finished speaking before Richard Spencer went up on stage and ended up getting shot all those Nazi salutes. And that was that video clip that you saw. Getting, Count Dankiller was there. He was the guy who'd just finished speaking and Spencer went up after him. So, of course, Count Dankiller went to court over that whole thing and yes. uh, there was a pro-free speech thing. Of course, he then gets offended by free speech when you call him a cunt. Mm-hmm. This guy's name is Marcus Meakin and he went to school. He went to St Andrew's Secondary School in Coatbridge. My girlfriend went to school with him. So I've met him a number of occasions, didn't know he became a, a kind of alt-right wacko, but he did. Um, he's always been a bit of a dick, as far as I'm aware. Uh, he used to run a thing called the Dumb Shit Archives, where him and his pals would prank people in Coatbridge all the time, which was just the worst kind of thing ever. He's just a notorious arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> um, notorious arsehole. The, the one like I'm talking that. about, is, his name's Colin Robertson, and his YouTube thing's called Millennial Woes. And that's like one of the, the prominent guys alongside people like Stephen Molyneux and stuff like that that's sort of flirted around the alt-right. But yeah, so anyway, we've spent a lot of time in the alt-right. I know, that's the second yeah. time that we've second got distracted. I, just, everyone's I feel like there's something in the world this week that's just pissing me off. Well, I mean, I've not really been able to get that goddamn press conference of Trump and Putin out of my head since yesterday. Oh, when he handed them that ball. Oh my God, he handed them the ball... And then he said, the ball's in your court. He's playing a fucking pitch. <laughs> Doesn't even work. <laughs> fucking That's monster. Tennis ball. <laughs> fucking monster. And then like, Trump throws it down to Barrett. He goes, here, Melania. I'm just, I just hope somebody does like a gif that's from the other camera angle where he goes, here, Melania, and the ball like, hits him in the face. <laughs> Priceless. We're beating around the bush here. That's Marnie Stern record. It's very good. Should we, should we get back to that? Yeah. <laughs> right. Sorry. So, yeah. Uh, what did you think Bush. about Chris? Bush. She was another one. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, sorry. Carry on. What did you think of it? I think this album's all right. Cool. Well, <laughs> that's all for this week. Can we, can we get very much. Can we get back to the old right? <laughs> Talking about alt right. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Um, no, I think this album's okay. Um, I think she's good. I'd never really listened to her prior to this and probably won't listen to a lot of her again. <laughs> I mean, I'd... I'd I think it's really cool music, uh, really interesting. It's very frantic. Yeah, it's Re- really intense, I would say. Really fucking exhausting mm-hmm. to listen to over a protracted period of yeah. time. I mean, this album's about 34 minutes long, mm-hmm. and less than halfway through, I'm like... Just, it's pretty full on, and the production just, doesn't help either. It's quite trebly, which can be quite harsh in the ears. I, I didn't find it particularly trebly. I just found it quite weak in production. Like, it, it just the mastering wasn't particularly full on. There was, just no, there was no real power behind it. Okay, so the layout of the album is quite samey. I went through our back catalogue and there's stuff on that back catalogue that I do really like. There are highlights on other albums that would have improved this. Tracks where she slows the pace down, tracks where just the approach to guitar is maybe a bit chunkier. This is quite similar throughout and quite exhausting. And even though there are moments, good moments, it was sort of featureless, I felt. I'm not trying to say it's bad. I think I think it was quite good, but I did feel it lacked anything that would elevate it. 
above even our other work. I don't know if you want to go there quite so soon, but um, yeah, might as well. So it's our this, this was our third album, obviously. Um, our first album was in advance of the Broken Arm in two thousand and seven, which is the closest to this one I think in feel. Mm-hmm. It's dead frantic, dead busy. Didn't really have a lot of variation and had a slightly weaker production. There was a tune in it called uh, "Every Single Line Means Something." Yeah, that's a lot slower. That mm-hmm. I thought helped that album. it up just paced it a little bit gave you a point to regain your breath and also just a landmark by which to navigate the album you're like okay track f- i think it was track four you're like right track four the slower one's good and then the one after that you can decide if you like it and work from there <laughs> the, the second album she did which is abbreviated to this is it mm-hmm. but the full title is this is it and i am it and so is that and he is it and she is it and it is it and that is that so they abbreviated that to this is it. What I want to know is why didn't they abbreviate it to T I A S I T A H I A C I A T A T? That's a lot catchier. It seems that it would make a lot more sense, right? So when I was listening to T I A S I T A H I A C I A T A T, I felt that that was probably our strongest record. I think so. Yeah, I thought so. There was a lot more standout moments in that. That has more of a feel at times, almost of like Van Halen meets Dan Deacon. <laughs> like that, no, really, it's got it's got no, the kind of, I, I get you. The I eruption you, style, sort of... like the production on it's pretty good, and the eruption style. Like, Marnie Stern is a finger tapper. If you don't like finger tapping, don't fucking come near yeah, Marnie Stern. Basically, yeah, you've got uh, to really like get kind of guitar playing. Otherwise, you're she just think is it's... just a constant assault of notes, just mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of notes, and that really puts some people off yeah, I, I can, can have some kind of issue with that sometimes it can get pretty tedious mm-hmm. uh, I felt in this album though she used it the best um, it was more adventurous there was a little bit more uh, in the way of variation Yeah, I, I I would I would probably recommend that record more so than this, and I think that would be my main contention. I I can see the merits in her. She's a very very gifted musician and really has some really interesting ideas on her records. Um, I noticed that some of the influences and so, also some of the people she's worked with, it, it actually becomes quite obvious. So she cites like Hella obviously mm-hmm. because uh, Zach Hill's her drummer almost throughout until her most recent album. King Crimson, Deerhoof, Don Caballero. US Maple, Television, they were all bands that she quoted. The Don Cab thing is very apparent because of the technical, yeah, yeah, yeah. mathy mm-hmm. approach. The Deerhoof thing, I didn't immediately see, but then in some of the more gonzo tracks, there's tracks that are a little bit wackier a little bit weirder than this um, we'll go through it track by track shortly but I felt the deer hoof thing did start to come across in those Even 
the US Maple one, I didn't get it at first. Then it turns out she actually toured um, with Mark Shippey, the US Maple guitarist. US Maple were like an anti-rock band. If you watch any of their stuff from the 90s, it's baffling. I've seen them live, and I, when I saw them live, I'd only just heard about them, and I went to see them. And it's probably the most I've had to work to try and understand a gig, maybe ever. Mm. It was really, really challenging. I could tell there was something really good happening, but it was very difficult to contemplate. And I've kind of got into them retrospectively, but they are anti-rock. It's such a perfect descriptor for them because they deliberately break almost every convention you could. And then just when you start to get used to them breaking conventions, they'll use a convention mm-hmm. and then they'll break it and then they'll use it and then they'll double, sec- like triple bluff. And it's just, they're such a weird group. And you do start to hear little moments of that in some of our music. So there are really interesting ideas there. It, I mean, it's a godsend that she's playing with Zach Hill. I mean, he makes a lot of the moments in these songs. The guitar is obviously brilliant. She's mm-hmm. an excellent guitarist. Uh, I think I think she was like voted. Elle magazine had done a feature on female guitarists, and she was voted in the top twelve of all time. I think Venus Zine in the states had put her in a, a similar list, maybe even like top five, mm-hmm. top ten. She she's a really incredible musician. I don't think this, these albums would have worked as well though without Zach Hill. Have you listened to her fourth record? Yeah, yeah I was going to say, she's going to yeah, because yeah. she's changed now. She's got Kid Millions from Anida. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Anida, we've mentioned Anida when we were doing the Blonde Redhead album, part of that New York art rock scene. used to listen to Anida. I've got a bit of a Liars vibe. I think they did. I split with Liars quite early on. Uh-huh. They're pretty avant-garde. He's not as good a drummer as Zach Hill. That, there's no shame I in that. I think it's still a really good record, though. It's I popular. don't think... Yeah, it's, but... got, it's got a much more deconstructed approach, and mm-hmm. I think it's better than this record as well. It's Sorry, better than the, the, the eponymous record that we're discussing as well. I'm coming find you. So I would say the second and the fourth are both probably, in my opinion, superior to that third one, just because they have more in the way of variation. I don't, as I say, I don't think Kid Millions is quite as compelling a drummer as that Kill, but songwriting-wise, it maybe. I think it does. I think on that record, I do think that that suits her better. His drumming styles. I mean, it's still it's still got echoes of what Zach Hill was doing over the past three records. Oh, he's still though, a very good drummer. Yeah. yeah. No, still not. It's not the exact same, but it does suit her. I think it does suit her songwriting a bit more. But that's not to say that. But you know, on the other hand, like I think that you're right in saying that Zach Hill does make a lot of the moments on a lot of her songs. things I like about this record so much is because it's like so relentless and intense and it can be quite difficult to listen you need to kind of really tune into it which you don't really tend to get with our other records so much especially not like you say the, the second one and the, and the fourth one for me I just love this the thing I love the most about this record was how it sounds like a lot of the times that like the guitar and the drums are at war with each other and I fucking love that I think, it's, I think it gives it a kind of weird tension 
and it kind of suits the whole political vibe of her kind of like being in a really kind of dark place as well. I kind of feel like the songs are the collateral damage though. <laughs> no, I, I'm totally with Mark on this one. I fucking love this record. And it's funny you suggesting this one and I was like, oh, I haven't actually listened to Marnie Stone for a long time. And I went back and I'm trying to work out why I, ha- I haven't got, gone back to it. Because when I was listening to it, I was like, fuck, I know this bit. I know this bit. There's just so many little hooks in it. There's so many little melodies that I love. I think this record is the one of hers that like has that. There's just so many influences. And I read something about how she, you know she's basically a genre of one mm-hmm. mathy bubblegum noise pop whatever. I disagree with it. Great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I th- I think this record for you isn't as good as two and four because it doesn't do what they're trying to do. But for me, two and four edge away from the uniqueness of this record. And I think this record is like really her finding that energy and that sound that makes her sound a little less like everybody else. Mm. I don't think any genre is a genre of one. I think that just kind of betrays a lack of... No, I mean, I'm not saying... I'm not agreeing that she's a genre of one. But I think this this record, though, I think stands out for me. It's got... I think it's got really fucking catchy bits in it. And maybe it's because I listened to it a long time ago and then I'm going back and going, oh, fuck, remember that bit? Remember that bit? But, you know, there's, like, just little riffs, like, in, in Nothing Left and Left and, like... Just the chorus of For Ash. I've had them in my head for, you know, seven or eight years. You know, how you get little clips of songs that just go into a, a bank in your head. And you'll drum along or you'll have that while you're driving in your car or whatever. I forgot that loads of these bits of this album are in my sort of memory bank of taps and hums. <laughs> I think this thing, I think it's really much to her testament as a songwriter as well. I think a lot of a lot of math guitar players can do similar things to what she does with the tapping and all that. But maybe struggle to get as, as many hooks as she gets, just generally across any record she does. I think, I think, that's, her... I think that's exactly the problem with Marnie Stern, that she doesn't get enough hooks and that she spends too much time tapping and not enough time writing songs. Think nah, so? I completely disagree. I, disagree yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> I think I think her melodies, her vocal melodies, um, you know, she's got this sort of slightly slightly desperate sadness and anguish in her melodies but also anguish well the lyrics to this are you know really don't go with the sort of major key melodies that we've got here you know that first track is for ash but that's that tracks about her ex-boyfriend who committed suicide and it like sort of turns it on its head and i think lyrically on this record she's a lot more open than she she was in previous records where she was just kind of scatty and what have you and wasn't talking about anything in particular, but this record really has a weird contradiction in it that I really like. Remember Marnie Stern was the person that was really outspoken against Best Coast yeah. for the, the asinine lyrics. Kind I, of lost that I one. mean, I think For Ash is a really good song. I think it's one, it is, one of the yeah. best ones. It's a good chorus. It's um, very triumphant for given the subject matter. Well, that's, well. that's the thing. I think I think the, the drum intro especially is one of the points where it most closely resembles Dan Deacon, mm. albeit on guitar and not on like synthesizer and arpeggiators and stuff. And there are good songs. I just, I don't know, like, uh, the, the, 
nothing left and transparency is a new mystery we're fine I thought Risky Biz was good, it was really dancey, it was one of the few ones where you could actually latch onto a beat rather than just like vibrating maniacally on the spot, you mm. could actually move to it and I thought Risky Biz really helped coming out at number four but it's not such a big departure that it allows you to get a breather. think perhaps it's intended as that, perhaps it's intended as the same thing as every single line means something where it allows you to slow down, but it doesn't do it by such a ratio that you really get to. Female guitarists are the new black. Again, I thought it's cool, technically it's impressive and it's frantic and it's energetic, but it just strikes me as being quite tuneless. Gimme, Gimme was good. I like the fact that the chorus in Gimme really kind of dropped, slowed the pace and kind of like yeah. was a little bit more expansive. That was nice. I think it could have done with a bit more of that. Thinking that song as well for me, like uh, that's that's a good example of how how really accents a guitar playing in an in a non obvious way. You know, it's got that riff which is a bit chunky in the chorus, which which I think most drummers would have like straight beat behind it. But he's kind of doing almost like disco stuff. That's a really interesting way to do that. Yeah. You know? If you want to listen to one song on this record, it kind of explains exactly how these two work together. That's probably it. In terms of like danceable Marnie Stern on on um, Chronicles of Marnia or most recent album, 2013 album, there's a track called Noonan. That's got like a Latin vibe, but it's really danceable. It's mm. something you can really move to. And likewise on that album, there's a track called Immortals, and I think Immortals is a slightly better written version of a lot of the stuff that's on this but it's it's frantic I just it's really full it has... on but it just the, the, the melodic progression is more interesting I just don't think it has quite the same feel as this <laughs> it doesn't have the same feel as this that's right it's better <laughs> <laughs> Hi there, I'm sitting in Chris's living room and he's about to get me a glass of water because I cannot afford to buy myself a bottle of Iron Brew. So please give us some money because we would really like to buy some bottles of Iron Brew and vegan Iron Brew as well. Is that such a thing, Dave, or is Iron Brew vegan? I think Iron Brew is vegan. Sweet, anyway. well, just regular Iron Unless, Brew. Fucking great. Unless girders are meat. Do you realise that a lot of people don't know what Iron Brew actually is? Most of our fans are American, it's fine. Uh, yeah, and also, sorry to the person in El Salvador that has no idea what wine brew is. It's a very tasty Scottish drink. But yeah, we'd like to buy more of that, so give us some money! Money!
<laughs> but I think, like, see, like the thing with math, right? Uh, especially frantically tapped math rock, you're deconstructing chords, right? So you're you're playing chords rather than strumming them and literally playing these notes at the same time. You're allowing them to mix in the ear. It's a little bit like pointillism mm -hmm. in, in in art. You're doing these very very small, tiny but rapid dots of things that, when you pull back from them, are meant to combine into the the bigger melody just like the dots are meant to combine into the the color um the texture of the the image that you're painting and i feel once you start deconstructing something to that extent it's easy to start putting in so many diminished tweaks watering down your chords so the roots are never strong for a lot of math rock bands they start becoming so obsessed with the technicality of the, of, the, of what they're doing that they forget there's a ratio of how easily your listener can actually find the chord that you're trying to to deconstruct and in a lot of this you can't really find the chord she's trying to deconstruct because it's so deconstructed it's frantically played and that pointillism effect doesn't really work because you when you pull back one chord blends into another chord because they're also diminished and i feel that that is a very hard thing to nail there's a there's a lot of bands doing that kind of stuff um and part of why I said I don't think it's a genre one, there's a band from Ireland called Daddy BC Shank, or there was a band from Ireland yeah. called Daddy BC Shank. I heard them the exact same time I heard this record. Right, well, their first two albums are very, very similar in, in where they're coming from to this, albeit without the vocal. Um, the third album that they did, which is an absolute masterpiece, is much, much more adventurous. But the first two are much more than this line. And their battle was always trying to deconstruct, but not deconstruct to the point where the roots are getting lost. Because whether you like it or not, if you're doing what's ostensibly a form of pop music, and this kind of is, uh, she's not taking it so far down the line that it's becoming like really arty. It's not like I that. think it's pop, but it's also punk and I think you're maybe you're you're kind of missing the punky vibe from this. Wow, man, that, that like, couldn't be more opposite for the truth. Then what's what's got a more simple chord structure than punk? And yeah, she's, I know, but she's completely an not en that. It's not about the chord structure; it's about the but, energy to it. And I think but that she is nails the point. a punk like, energy to it. Punk energy. I mean, playing fast and playing hard is one thing, but the punk thing is about the simplicity, the the the, the rudimentary raw like energy of it. And yet, no, it's punk's energetic. just about saying fuck you. Punk is like almost universally derided by more technical players for the, the insulting simplicity of its chord progression. She's doing anything but that. She's playing diminished chords that a punk would never even look at. And and Yeah, so what's more punk than being anti punk? <laughs> I mean that is just that's that's a fucking backflip, so I, I, I can't even answer that. I spent all day on Facebook answering. Are you trying to say that Green Day are the most punk band in the world? Because that's exactly that's exactly what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. Like like I said, I think that, that deconstruction can be a problem. There's 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 band there's a band in Glasgow called Vasa. And Vasa, yes. Vasa do a lot of the really, really technical, especially with multiple guitars like Hi John, I know you're listening. <laughs> intricate sort of blending of those two sets of broken down chords so there you've got two guitarists there and a bassist who are deconstructing chords and playing them incredibly quickly and incredibly technically and allowing the listener to merge that sound in their ears
a right? lot of bands do that now, but I think a lot of bands do that and it's too clear and it's too you're like, Oh, I know exactly what you're doing. Like I I think this I think it leaves the right amount for the listener. I mean, I, I think that's like a bit of a generalisation. Yeah, a lot of them probably do do that and it's too obvious. I mean, a lot of the metalcore bands do that and it's insultingly obvious. There's a lot of math rock bands who go out there and classify themselves as math rock and then they don't do anything interesting because they're just like, they're doing that Russian Circles meets Adebisi Shank thing that we've heard a million times. Absolutely, but then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got stuff like this where not in all of our work, but certainly on a lot of the stuff in this album, the, chord, the chords are so broken down that it's very, very hard to latch onto the root. And therefore, when the vocal comes in, I can kind of guess roughly what the vocal is meant to be doing against that root note. But it's so vague that I find it hard to enjoy it. And I un- that, that's basically I, I understand that. And, and on her other albums, for me, she, she does that much, much better where she's still breaking it up, but she's throwing in. Sometimes there's like second and third guitar tracks. And one of the, the, one of the best tracks that she does, the guitar track is like really chunky. And there's actually just a guitar riff coming in over the top, like just a proper rooted chord that is going along whilst it almost sounds like she's looped. Yeah, I, I just don't think it, it gets it right in this. It's too technical, it's, it's too vague. And kind of, I, I just like having something to latch on to, and I like being able to move to it. And I can't move to it. It's too fast to move to it. It's too frantic to move to it, and it's too deconstructed to really engage on an emotive level. I find it really interesting that this is kind of meets your listenable limit for you know technical music. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's 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 it, it doesn't it doesn't though, man. It's it's about it's about the ratios. You can play faster and harder on this, and I'll still love it as long mm-hmm. as you get the ratios better, to better as my as far as my taste is concerned. Uh, I'm kind of with Weaver in the sense that I I like the I like the punk rock nature of it. I think that's what appeals to me the most about it. I do, I do think it is a hard listen. I can't listen to it often, but when I listen to it, I really really enjoy it. But I can understand where you're coming from as well. She's somebody that in my collection I will keep a number of her tracks from across her albums. Mm-hmm. but not want to listen to any one of her albums. I don't think any of the albums work as a perfectly complete realised thing, uh, especially not this one, and probably not the first one. Although the first one I noticed was uh, the New York Times called it the year's most exciting album in 2007 when it came out. Remarkably progressive for the New York Times. Cause <laughs> it's pretty far out there. I'm not, it I'm is, no, it yeah, is. It's true. But, yeah, I, I just think this is a raw, yet very musically astute record that's full of emotion and rage, and fun at the same time. I wouldn't I, go. Out, I really I, like it. I wouldn't go out here and say that this is one of the best things Zach Hill's ever done because I've never listened. I've not listened to a vast majority of his stuff, but he does make a big difference in this record. I think Zach Hill's a guy who just throughout his career has been for me far too down that line of technicality over songwriting. Hella is incredibly impressive and almost completely unlistenable. <laughs> fan if I'm honest and, and that's the thing it's like it's great being good at something and it's it's awesome to watch it it's awesome to have fun 
he's, he's sort of like lightning bolt. It's like, wow, this stuff's fucking brilliant. The three songs, yeah, but he's kind three of, songs was enough. He's kind of found his thing now, though. He's, you know, yeah, he's he's, he's done doing death seven grips. or eight records with death grips, and the yeah. drumming is just a very small part of it. So, absolutely, I'm yeah. not disputing that. I'm, yeah. But I'm saying this and Hella and some of the other stuff. I think this is far more listenable than Hella. Right. I mean, it is, yeah, but it still doesn't quite get that balance. He did production on this as well. I didn't think it was great. It's probably the weakest point of it. I think the guitar. I don't know. I really like it. I really like the production because it sounds like it's just people in a room ha- having a lot of fun. I think the guitar's a little bit too boxy sometimes. Mm. See if you compare the production on this to the production on the third IWC Shank album, which is an absolute ripper, and you can put it through a club PA and it just sounds incredible. It just leaves us so far behind. Yeah, but that's not. I love that Adabisi Shank record, but I wouldn't classify it in the same. I think this is way more indie and way more lo-fi, and I don't want to hear the crystal clear perfection of every note. I just love it being fucking fast and rough. Whereas Adabisi Shank, I'm like, oh yeah, perfect. That's that's yeah, why but I Adabisi like Shank. We're recording on a far smaller budget than these guys. Adabisi Shank made more of less, and I think, on, especially given that this well, was the third album and she's on Kill Rock Stars, it could have sounded better. Well, I sat with the vibe she was going for, which it probably was. Possibly. Why? Because she was obviously aiming directly at me because I really <laughs> fucking like this record. I'm a big fan of this record too. I'm a big fan of this record too, and I would definitely think it would go into a discography. Yeah, yeah. I would like it because I think it's nobody really talks about her. I was reading an interview with her, and you know when her last record came out, and she just seems like a fucking really cool person. I really like her. She's incredibly like, I, talented. She seems really interesting. I really think people should know about her. I'm very, very glad that I'm aware of her. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about a full album here. Mm-hmm. And I know loads of bands that have got outstanding moments and outstanding songs, but not outstanding albums. And I think she's the same. Well, I wrote my first note on this uh, when I went back to it was fucking hell, I forgot how good this album is. So, you know, eight years on after I first. You take a lot it. of ecstasy, though. <laughs> you know. Got to enjoy life. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to know is, because there was some big chat before we started recording, is there a Foo Fighters Nexus for oh, this? Oh, there is a Foo Fighters Nexus, yeah. Well, we hang on. The, the jungle play a little bit of music. was a brother. This can be a secret. We can keep it You're smashing it with these. You're smashing what it with these. What did you think of last week's, by the way? It was good. It was good, good, right? I liked that one. Yeah. Um, so, more Mark, of that, please. You want to go first? Have we, have we all got one here? Because I've got one. I don't have one for this. I've got one then. I've got one. Um, Zach Hill plays in Death Grips, Head Tour, Nine Snails. Dave Grohl played drums on Nine Snails record. Three jumps. Okay. Mine's all right here. I okay. quite like it. Okay. And yep. it, it's political, which I think is in keeping with it. Okay, I'm down with the that. beginning of this, right? So, Marnie Stern. Also plays in the 8G band on the late night show. Oh, good, good, good one. I like it. With like Seth it Myers, yeah. right? The comedian and satirist Seth Myers. Uh, Seth Myers was the compere for the White House Correspondents' <laughs> Dinner when Barack Obama went up on stage and ridiculed Donald Trump. And it's widely seen as being the point, not only when Donald Trump decided that Barack Obama was Nigerian or whatever, but that when Donald Trump decided in earnest he was going to go for office to get his revenge. Mm-hmm. All right, Barack Obama 
did an interview with Dave Grohl for fucking Cheesy Highways or whatever it was back in 2014 (laughs) when Dave Grohl was trying to much credibility of everybody else apart from Dave Grohl. So uh, there you go. That's three as well. That's quite good though, that one, right? Yeah. There's there's probably, there's one by uh, Portlandia as well, probably. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Because Fred Armiston's in the the AG band and he's in Portlandia with Kai Brownstein. All right. And, yeah, um, I was I was going to say actually, Carrie Brownstein, Danita Sparks, Lita Ford, they were all in that list of great female guitarists alongside Marnie Stern as mm-hmm. well. So there we go. Mm. So that was quite a good one. You want to play some music? I'll play some outro. Sweet. Tasty. Uh-huh. That's a tasty burger. So uh, uh-huh. how, how's about we wrap this up, guys? Because I've got some uh, Facebook arguing to get back to. <laughs> you certainly do. <laughs> I'm actually, it's all kicking off in the, the Jordan Peterson Facebook event <laughs> group. Have you been real-timing that? There's no, there's uh, in this whole well, I, I might have left a little comment. <laughs> David's trolling me and Facebook. So, <laughs> somebody's commented saying, I guess you'll be staying at home with your goat then, David. <laughs> what does that mean? Is, how did he know that? What does that mean? He knows about your goat. Is a goat a liberal thing, a left-wing thing? No, it's a small animal. Yeah, why is he saying I'm going to stay with my goat? Oh, wait, it's because I've got a goat in my profile yeah. picture. <laughs> oh, that'll be why. I knew you were going to get <laughs> I was like, I'm confused. Has like Jordan Peterson got some theory about goats and left-wingers? He's left got wingers? a theory about lobsters, so it could well be goats I, next. I wasn't going to get that Well, that's what I was going to say. I was, I, I'm, my retort was going to be, are you going to be going with your fucking lobster, you cunt? Do that, do that, write that now, and then we'll keep the listeners just... updated on the reaction. Uh, so, for me, this is a no. Okay, for me, it's a yes. Can I Can I just actually qualify that and say it's a no? But Marnie Stern is a really interesting artist, and she's got some excellent songs. I'm saying no to the album mm-hmm. as a thing. As an artist, she's well worth everybody's time, I think we can all agree on that. I think this album is fucking great. As do I. And I think she's great. I do think she's great too. And I think that that in that interview she says that she's um been given guitar lessons and selling plus sized women's clothes on eBay. eBay, I saw that. So I think people should go out and support her music so she Yeah, but she wouldn't tell people sell what her handle, fewer clothes what her handle was in eBay. She wouldn't say it because she said it was silly. Yeah. So Marnie, you've not done a worker for a little while. If you are listening, give us an email and come on the podcast. That'll be great. She's not listening. She might be. <laughs> she's not very active on social media, so she's probably not listening. She's in New York City recording live with the interludes. Yeah. So are we going to do one next week, or are we just going to meet up and fight? We're yes, next week <laughs> we are going to meet up and fight, and the soundtrack to us fighting is going to be AFX Stroke AFX Twin. With Chosen Lords. Excited about that, Chris? I mean, I have some technical and eligibility issues that we'll get to next week. What I'd like to know is, given the absolute international clusterfuck that was this week, can we all hazard a guess at one thing that will have happened between <laughs> this podcast and the next podcast in the world of uh, international relations? Um, David? I, I'm going to say... Th- for some reason, I'm. I think something about Antarctica. 
So maybe is it because the Nazis apparently relocated to Antarctica after the Second World War, went under the ice and created a superstructure, and have been building UFOs ever since then? And the UFOs that are seen over America are Nazi spy UFOs. True story. That is an actual valid theory, and it's all based on Thule and this whole notion of uh, their race. It's very interesting. I just finished. Could the book be to about do with this. that. Yeah. I thought you had a job, but it sounds like you don't have a job when you talk about this kind of shit. You spent all day reading about stuff. A what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and yourself? Uh, I think that Barack Obama will become the one true god. Well, I was trying to take this seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, Vladimir Putin will go back and his promise to Trump, probably, as he always does. Well, that's a safe bet. That is, isn't it? Chris, <laughs> what are your vibes? Uh, I think Rod Rosenstein will get fired. And I think Robert Mueller will announce who the names are of the Americans that are linked to the 12 Russians that were indicted this week. And I think one of them will be Melania. think so. <laughs> and I think she'll bolt in the <laughs> middle this, of the that, night. This might happen in the next three days <laughs> before this goes up. And I think we'll have helicopter footage a bit like the OJ chase in his white pickup <laughs> but it'll literally just be Melania on foot and because she's had access to amazing Russian steroids she will be able to run at speeds until now unattainable so yeah so uh, let's record a podcast next week then okay go and leave a comment on our Facebook page about Jordan Patterson and how much you love slash him we'd be like to get engaged in some serious positive vibes and our closing comment will be from David from the thread about Jordan Pearson's forthcoming appearance in Glasgow. David, any choice cuts? Uh, no, they can all just fuck off. <laughs> Carry on. Typical Facebook then. <laughs> okay, guys. Thanks. Thanks. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.